Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. The man cocked his head toward the pedestrian light, which was still green. After making a good show of looking both right and left, he started across the road. Jenna followed a few paces behind, her heart still hammering, acutely conscious of how ridiculous she must look to him, a woman pushing 50 in sensible running shoes and with a purple day pack slung across one shoulder. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm talking to Carol M. Cram. Her 2018 book, The Muse of Fire, follows the trajectory of young Grace Johnson, who falls in love with the theater on her second visit. Her most recent book, Love Among the Recipes, is a lighthearted romp through Paris, where a middle-aged woman going through a marital crisis learns something about herself while seeking inspiration to write her fifth cookbook. Hi, Carol. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here, Galit. So your biography is packed full of accomplishments. You've written over 60 best-selling textbooks, two previous novels, no, three previous novels, and you also run two blogs along with hosting an art and fiction podcast. So I'm wondering if you ever eat or sleep. I mean, okay, the real question, what is your writing discipline like? That's an excellent question, and it actually is one that I struggle with every day. I'd like to be able to say that I write for three hours every morning, but it doesn't actually end up that way every single day. But I do maintain as much of a routine as I possibly can where I put writing fiction is my first priority, and then all the other stuff I do sort of packs in around that. Mm. What do you love most about? teaching and mentoring aspiring authors. And what advice do you find yourself repeating again and again? Actually, the advice I love to give to new authors is don't afraid to be bad. Mm. And what I mean by that is get the work down, just get the writing down. Don't think about what other people are going to think about it, because the only person you really have to satisfy is yourself. And this advice comes from a lot of experience when I was sort of getting going with becoming a novelist, where I almost got paralyzed worrying about trying to write stuff that is good. And I realized after a while that, no, I don't have to write stuff that is good. I have to edit it later, but first I've got to get it down. And so that's what I tell people is just get it down then work with it. Novels are not written, they're rewritten. And don't worry, because nobody has to see your work until you show it to them. Mm, Good advice. So let's start by discussing the first book of yours that I read, Muse of Fire. Can you take us a bit through the trajectory of how you came to write it, and then about Grace's journey without giving away too much of the story? Okay, well, The Muse of Fire is set in 1808-1809 in London, and the genesis of that novel 
was actually me cleaning my office one day, which is something, you know, one should never do. I came across uh, the thesis that I wrote for my master's many, many moons ago that was on the old price riots of 1809 in the London theater. And I read this uh, thesis and I thought, oh, this is really interesting. Gee, I think this might be a good basis for a novel. Because what happened in 1808 in London, Covent Garden Theatre, which was one of the two biggest theatres in London at the time, burned to the ground. And they rebuilt it within a year, which was remarkable considering the time. And when they opened the doors to, you know, for the new season, they put the prices up like one penny. And people rioted for 66 nights. And what was I found fascinating as a novelist was what was it like to be an actress on stage during these riots? Because what happened is that the theater kept going. Every night, the actors would go on stage, the play would go on, the orchestra would be there. But meanwhile, out in the pit, people would be yelling and throwing things and doing dances and basically protesting. It was the football riots or the soccer riots of its period. So I asked, as all novelists do, what if you were an actress, you got your big break finally, you went on stage and it was during these riots and you had to try and get through to people when people were yelling and screaming and they really didn't care what you had to say because they were protesting the increase in prices. So that was the, the genesis of this novel. And really it tells the story of Grace, a young woman, in London, who becomes fascinated by the stage. She has an opportunity to go on the stage. And of course, on her first night, you know, things explode at the old price riots. And so it's her journey over that uh, three month period when these riots were going on. And the novel also tells the story of the riots and all the people involved, which of course were real. The one question I want to ask about Muse of Fire, the theater is almost like a character in the book. You yes. lovingly, lovingly describe its treasures, its stage, its scary corridors. What's your own personal connection with theater? Well, I did my master's degree in theater, which is why I'd written that thesis, because I, I took a course in theatrical history. Also, uh, many years ago, I taught theater and drama at the high school level. And also, it's just a huge part of my life. I love the theater. I'm not as involved with it anymore, but it's it's certainly part of my life. It's just something that I love very, very much. So it was a natural. Also, The Musifier is the third novel in a loosely connected trilogy about women in the arts. And like the first novel is about a visual artist, the second about a woman composer, and then the third is about an actress. So I wanted to kind of cover the arts, visual art, music, and theater. So really that's what, uh, why the Muse of, another reason why the Muse of Fire came to be. It rounded out this trilogy about women in the arts. They're not related, the novels, just thematically to do with the arts and women. Mm -hmm. And these three novels were historical fiction. What made you decide now to write a book about a woman who goes to Paris to write a cookbook? <laughs> well, it's interesting. Um, my fourth book, Love Among the Recipes, is actually my pandemic novel. I had written that novel a few years ago, actually, uh, before I published or before the first novel was published, The Towers of Tuscany. 
I had written Love Among the Recipes. And then I put it aside, as all authors do. Most authors have several novels on their hard drives. And then when the uh, a year ago, when the pandemic hit, I was actually working on the sequel to The Towers of Tuscany, which was set in 14th century Siena in Tuscany. And it's kind of a grim time. <laughs> and mm. there's a lot of plague that was happening at that time. And of course, when our own very own 21st century plague hit, I thought, you know, I don't really want to hang out in the in the times when there were other plagues. I want to do something light and fun. And we can't travel right now. So, gee, I have this uh, novel on my hard drive. So I brought it up and then I spent about six months editing it and working on it, working with editors and and then brought it out in October. So it was my antidote, I think to a, uh, a difficult period. And it kept me busy during the pandemic, although writers don't really have too much trouble being on their own anyway. <laughs> right. Um, but what is your personal connection to cooking and baking? And did you try all those recipes? That's a good question. I can't say I've tried all of them. No, but uh, well, what was why I wrote that novel to begin with I, ages ago was I love Paris. I love food. I love cooking. I'm not a professional chef or anything like that. But I just thought this might be kind of a cool idea. And what Love Among the Recipes does, um, or it's about a woman um, or a cookbook, sorry, it's about a uh, cookbook author who goes to Paris and decides to write a cookbook that matches Parisian sites, you know, such as the Eiffel Tower, with bistro style dishes like steak haché or mousse merrière or something like that. And, and then it's also her journey as an older woman. She's about 50. And uh, just her journey, you know, going, getting through a, a divorce and possibly having some new romance. Her, her older children come back, her, her grown children come to Paris and everything kind of converges in her life. And at the meantime, she's doing this uh, research for this cookbook. And really, I just I thought it was fun because I wanted a novel that where Paris was a huge part of it. It's like another character in the book. And uh, I wanted some opportunities for humor. So there's quite a lot of that in this novel. And just celebrating life and fun and uh, the fact that you can start again at any age because my main character, Jenna, does start again in, in her early 50s. You know, often these types of novels, sort of what we call women's fiction, are about younger women. And I'm no longer a younger woman. And I wanted to tell a story of someone mature and that, you know, life can always go sideways and come back and do interesting things at any age. We, you know what? Although Love Among the Recipes is more in the category, as you said, of like women's fiction, popular fiction, yeah. than in the category of literature, I wanted to interview you first because I, I enjoyed Muse of Fire, but also because it's not that common to write about a woman in her 50s finding herself. So the question is, why isn't it more common? Shouldn't it be? And are you planning well, any it be. <laughs> are you planning any other older protagonists? Possibly. Okay. Uh, not right at the moment, but I certainly wouldn't rule it out. I, I think, well, why not? I mean, I, I love my life right now. I think life is great. I'm I'm not even in my fifties anymore. I'm beyond I'm in my sixties. Life is awesome. <laughs> and uh I think, why can't we have more stories about uh, women of a certain age? Why does everybody have to be 25 or 30? We have stories to tell, too. And, you know, the way people live forever these days, we're, we're only halfway through. So uh, 
yeah, I, I just think there should be more novels about um, older women. I think there are more and more just because there's more novelists. That's true. 3,000 books a day being published in this country. Oh, my goodness. So let's go back to the cooking and baking. I couldn't help but notice that the word comfort appears at least three times in different recipes. Is that a preparation that you especially love? Uh, I just like what it tastes like. Um, like duck confit is um, it's duck preserved in fat. And the confit part, I believe, is something to do with caramelization. You know, I actually don't know. I, I would have to look that up. But I do know it is uh, a dish that I often get, uh, the confit-type dish. And I believe it has something to do with caramelization or sort of making things kind of jam-like almost. So you can right, have onions. Like, right. I thought it was like an aspic sort of a thing. No, no, it's not like that. Yeah, no, it, it's more caramelized, like like caramelized onions, caramelized, caramelized onions could have something to do with confit. But you know what? I'd have to actually look it up. I, I always order it and I really enjoy it. But to tell you exactly how it's made, I actually don't know. As I said, I'm not really a chef at all. <laughs> I love to cook uh -huh. and I love food. But um, I'm coming at Love Among the Recipes more as somebody who just loves the sensual pleasures and, you know, of food and of life and of uh, the beautiful parts of Paris, etc. Well, how did you come to begin each chapter with the descript description of a different flavor of macaron? And also, which, mm -hmm. which is your favorite? Oh, okay. good question. Well, you know, it's interesting. That was very late. That was just before uh, I was in the final editing process of the novel. And all my other novels, I started some, every chapter started with something, usually a quote. And I didn't have anything for Love Among the Recipes. And I thought, well, macarons is such a iconically French Parisian patisserie kind of thing. Why? And, and also the things with macarons, you can have a million flavors. You can make a macaron out of just about anything because they're these lovely confections. So I thought, why don't I make a macaron flavor for the beginning of every single chapter? So really, it just came because I wanted something to start every chapter I don't actually have a favorite because I made them up. I, every time when I was doing the editing process, I would say, okay, I need a macaron for this chapter. And what I, the macarons are actually Easter, what they call Easter eggs, because after you look at what the macaron flavor is, you know, lime with such and such or whatever I, I wrote. And then as you read the chapter, there will be an echo of whatever that flavor is. So there, and it's not, it's not overt but you kind of notice it. I don't know. Did, did you notice that as you were writing, reading the novel? Yes, but more so the colors, because you often <laughs> uh, had like very vibrant, beautifully described colors of the macarons. So, yes. Sometimes it was colors, sometimes it was flavor, but there was always an echo in the chapter or something to do with the plot or whatever that was reflected in the macaron that I choose, which actually were just totally made up. I, I would go online and look at the different flavors of macaron and just put different flavors together for fun. It was completely for fun. <laughs> it was. It was fun to read. Um, yeah. I thought it interesting that you describe Jenna as thinking of herself as dowdy and overweight, but yes. she is spoken to by several men um, as being beautiful. She's told she's beautiful by several men and who are, who are attracted to her. So let's talk about that. Can you say <laughs> more about it? Well, I think 
with Jenna uh, is not unlike a lot of uh, women who don't have the the greatest idea of themselves, which is unfortunate. And that is a flaw with Jenna is that she does put herself down a lot and, and she shouldn't, she has no reason to, but she does. I mean, isn't that often what people do, especially women? We are tend, we tend to be prone to that. Mm -hmm. At least that was, that was sort of my feeling about it. Uh, And that just seemed to be part of her personality that she was quite self-deprecating to a fault really, because she didn't need to. And one of the things in the novel, her growth, is that she does get beyond that, and she's not quite so self-critical by the end. Yeah, but she, her husband has betrayed her, and she's feeling terrible about herself in many ways. And the way she looks is just one of them, because she must be thinking, you don't dwell on it, but she's, she must be thinking in some part of her, where, what did I do? What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. But would that be what you would think in that situation? Absolutely. Absolutely. I I know exactly. I actually know from life experience exactly how that feels. Well, I think a lot of us do. Uh, I don't think it's an unusual thing to have happened to women or men, but I'm I'm writing from a woman's point of view. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've been betrayed in that way, I think it's quite natural to think, well, what's wrong with me? That might be unfair, but that doesn't mean that's not how we think. You know, we're not always logical, right? But and then, as you said, it it's really welcoming to read. You know, I was hoping the whole way through that she would come to terms with her beauty, her inner beauty, her outer beauty, all, everything about herself. So. Mm-hmm. So are any of your characters based on people in your life? Maybe I should just ask you if you ever base characters on people, you know. Not deliberately, but I think all authors take from a lot of different areas. So I can't of their lives. So I can't say that there's any character in that novel that is a specific person that I know. But there's elements of people that I know, and elements of myself in all my characters. Hmm. Yeah. But nobody in particular stands out. Like no bad guy, no irritating people who then turned into the bad guys. Not that I'll admit. No, <laughs> no, no, there isn't okay. really. No, it okay. it doesn't really work that day. Sometimes I think, oh, I wonder if I can just take somebody I know and describe them and put them in a novel. But it, I find it just doesn't work that way. I don't know why. Characters just, you know, they develop and they, as I said, they have elements of people that we know. Like my so, daughter, when she reads, when my daughter reads Love Among the Recipes, she will see elements of me, of her dad, even of her, uh, but they aren't really. But yes, because she knows it's her, it's her family, right? So she knows. Yeah, yeah. so if there's but, a daughter, it must be her, right? Yes, yeah, even though she's not at all like Becky. But, you know, so she'll, she'll, she'll get the in-jokes that nobody else would get. Mm. So um, I know you didn't go to Paris this year of the plague. No. But I wonder if you spent time when you originally wrote the book, if you spent time in Paris writing a book about a woman who spends time in Paris preparing <laughs> to write a book. It's just kind of a funny circuitous path here. What do you have to say? Well, I've certainly been to Paris many, many times. And some of the time when I've been in Paris over the last many years, I have been working on that novel. This novel was one that really has been around for quite a long time. I started it, oh, quite a long time ago, maybe 10 years ago, maybe longer. So it's been bubbling away for a long, long time, even though I wasn't like constantly working on it. But many of our trips to Paris, uh, 
I, it, I'd be thinking about that novel. I go, oh yeah, I want to check something out that I might put in the novel later. So it's been a long, long process. And yes, we were all set to go to Paris last September. Uh, we're booked to go this September. I don't know if we're going to get to go, but mm. we hope so. My, my husband is a painter, and uh, he has an ex- he has an ex- he has an exhibition in Paris that we mm. canceled last year. So we hope we can do it this year. Oh, I hope so too. Maybe yeah. maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll also join you there for the exhibition. So um, the one question I have is: I've been to Paris a number of times, not as many as you, but I have never had a bad meal and you describe one terrible meal and I just couldn't believe it. Did you ever have a bad meal in Paris? Oh yes. And that meal that I described when she's out with her daughter, Becky, and they have this terrible meal on the Champs-Élysées at one of these really touristy places. That, that description there is, is actually from life because that's exactly what happened to me one time. It was just the worst meal you could possibly imagine. And there was a huge rainstorm, just like I describe in the novel. Well, you can get bad meals in Paris. I've had a few actually over the years. That one was particularly bad. But um, actually, I think, I think I mentioned more than one. There's at least two that I mentioned in the novel. Yeah. Um, so yes, it's, it's possible. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of super touristy places that, you know, right. Right. Throw a microwave rubber chicken kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so like anywhere, you, I mean, you can get bad food in France easily. You can also get sublime food, but uh, <laughs> like anywhere. Okay, just wanted to check that out because it never happened to me. Um, yes, well, also Jenna does eat at a super expensive restaurants occasionally, and I can't say I've ever done that. So that was made up. <laughs> I just that was that was wish fulfillment. <laughs> our budgets what? don't go quite that high really because i'm going from here to take our son out to a very expensive steak dinner to celebrate his recuperation from covid oh so, well, that's better <laughs> we said choose wherever you want to go yes so. he deserves it <laughs> um so what are you working on now actually i'm going back to historical fiction at the moment um, I've had a few novels on the go over this last year, and um, the one I've settled on now, which I really just started, and I'm doing a lot of just researching and thinking, is actually based on uh, my great-great-grandmother. So Ooh. it will be a story of a woman in a northern um, mill town in England, and my great-great-grandmother was an amazing woman. and. I just want to tell her story. It's not like she did anything particularly amazing. Like she didn't accomplish anything particularly, although she had 12 children with two different husbands. But for her time, the kinds of things that that she had gone through and also the kind of personality she was, which actually wasn't all that positive. So it's going to be interesting how this develops because, of course, I never met her. But I knew her through my grandmother, who used to call her the old battle axe. (laughs) <laughs> and that stuck with us. Yes, she didn't think much of her grandmother because in, during the First World War, my grandmother, who was 10 at the time, was sent to live with, with the old battle axe, which my grandmother called her until the day she died at 98. Uh, and, uh, and it was not a good experience. And I, that story has stuck with me, that and the story of my great-grandmother, who went across the Atlantic with four children in tow right during the First World War to find her husband, who by the time she got to England, he'd been killed at the Somme. So that's a tragic story. But taking those two stories, the the kind of mother-daughter story, because they didn't get along, 
And that kind of whole working class woman's experience of the late 19th century, early 20th century in England is fascinating to me because those are my roots. That's that's where my family, one of my families came from. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm working on right now. And we shall see how that comes out. It's a little bit different from the other ones, um, but we'll see. <laughs> I'll look forward to it. Thank you so much for joining me today, Carol. It's been a pleasure. Well, thanks for chatting with me, Galit. It's been wonderful. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery Series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with author Carol Cram about her novels, News of Fire and Love Among the Recipes. Hope you're all able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow, too. Happy reading.